Betsy, welcome. How are you? Doing well. Thanks. Glad to be here with you. We are super glad to have you here as well. We spoke, we just connected a few days ago, and I think there was this instant connection between the two of us related to immigration, and we managed to organize this webinar in three days. So wonderful of you to join us at such short notice. So I know we have a lot to talk about, and we might need a little bit more than 45 minutes or 60 minutes even. Well, let's see how much we can cover. But the first thing I want to start off with is just your background. I know a little bit about your background. You were a senior executive at Nestle for a number of years, and then you moved into the immigration space about 10 years ago. But tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about your journey, your career. Maybe let's start with that, your Nestle and before, and then what led you to this? I was an exchange student in high school, and my family hosted international people through the World Affairs Council when I was growing up. So it really gave me an appreciation for people around the world. So during my career at Ralston Purina, which became Nestle Purina, the opportunity within Nestle was to work with so many international people on global and local issues, which was terrific. And, and you were at Nestle for how many years? I believe 25 years. Is yeah, that more than 25. So I was one of the first women in marketing to be a vice president. And rose through the ranks of marketing cereal, baby food, pet food. Then I worked on global sustainability issues, international issues, as well as local issues. I was involved extensively in the St. Louis region with a lot of our civic organizations. And so because of that, I ran a regional coalition for Purina and for Nestle. And so at the same time I was working globally, I was doing a lot with local civic leaders on a regional initiative. So I had both that sense of global experience as well as very deep connections to the region. And that's what really led me into my second career when I was leaving Nestle to say, how can I make a different impact in the region with all the issues that I know that our region needs to grow and also the facts that I have deep connections to companies, people, organizations, because and I'm a born connector. That is really what I love to be a connector. So my question was, how could I make the biggest impact in my second career? Interesting. And tell us a little bit about those challenges. So it sounds like in the region, you were aware of certain challenges and certain goals. And yes. felt like you would be in a position to contribute to those goals. What yes. were the challenges and goals and what has been the journey towards that so far? What I learned was that our World Trade Center of St. Louis had worked with some civic leaders to do a study uh, that was commissioned by the William T. Kemper Foundation, which are the founders of Commerce Bank in St. Louis. They had done two sets of research that said that St. Louis was underdeveloped in foreign-born people. We have less than the national average. And so the opportunity was, could we be a more thriving, growing region if we could market, attract more foreign-born people to come to St. Louis? And because of that, I read the two studies and what it said is we would have to have a leader who knows the region, can work with local groups, would have connections to international people and understands marketing to put together the kind of programs and connections that will make foreign born people who are here for their jobs and for their culture and for the community to be successful. And so I raised my hand and I said, you're going to hire someone. I'm the one for you. And they had a couple of candidates and they picked me. Is there perhaps a personal story behind this? And maybe there is none, which is okay. But is there a personal story behind this? Because to me, it's still a little 
strange, if you will, because you were a very senior executive at Nestle. Let's be honest here. You were vice president of marketing at Nestle, and that's a very senior position. For you to go from that to immigration just seems like a big jump. Is there some, something personal behind that? No, it was a time of transition. A number of people were leaving the corporate environment as they were raising other people up. And so it was an opportunity for some people to take second careers and some people to do new things in their lives. And for me, I just knew that I had a passion to help make our region better. And so with all the connections I had, I started talking to everybody to find out where was there a need and how could I really make a difference in a different way civically after I had that opportunity to make a difference corporately. And I was known across the region as one of the top corporate leaders. And now I had a new opportunity. And I did talk to some other companies about opportunities, particularly in the field of sustainability, global sustainability, environmental issues. And there were companies I was interested in. But when I heard that the region needed someone who could combine international with marketing, with civic improvement, that just felt to me like it was my calling to do that. Okay. Okay. That's fair. And so tell us a little bit about why you, you talked about a couple of studies and that drove you, that gave you a lot of motivation and inspiration. And those, one of the studies talked about how the foreign born population in the St. Louis region was below national average, but why is that important? Why is that metric important at all in for St. Louis and for the U S at large? Our whole country has been stagnating in terms of population. And so that's not good. And it's one of the reasons why many people, both Republicans and Democrats, do understand that as a country, and for us, St. Louis as a region, we need the talent and the population that immigration and foreign-born people will bring. That's all ethnicities, all skill levels, and ways that we can grow. We have a demographic winter, it's called. And when you have fewer older workers, you need to support older work, older retired people through Social Security. Medicare, Medicaid, all those programs. And if you don't have a population that is young and growing and in the workforce, this country won't be successful. And our region is one of the regions that was in the Rust Belt. So we have had that experience earlier than other parts of the country. And so you look at what it takes for to be a top 20 region, for example. And when I started this journey 10 years ago, we were the number 19th largest metro for the St. Louis metro, and now we're 21 as other places like Nashville, Orlando, Austin are growing faster and they will overtake us in the next couple of years if our region does not do a better keeping our native born community and then adding by our foreign born community. And it's very important because if you're attracting international or even nationally students to Washington University, St. Louis University of Missouri, Southern Illinois University, Webster University, all these schools, or if you're one of our companies and you're recruiting talent, those families want to go to a growing region. And that is something that people look at for both talent and for their families. So we want to be on that growth curve. And I do believe that I can help with the work of the Mosaic Project, which is part of our World Trade Center and our St. Louis Economic Development Partnership, that if we can take that smaller foreign born and grow it, it's one of the pillars that will contribute to growth in our region. We also need to grow many other aspects, but I can work on one of the important pillars. So it's super interesting, the comment that you made about how you talked about the demographic winter and St. Louis has been traditionally in the Rust Belt and you felt that much sooner than the rest of the country, right? And yes. that drove action on the part of St. Louis and on your end as well. 
what is your view on so if you take that same sentiment and you apply it at a national level where do you think the us as a whole as a country stands on the topic of immigration with its current set of immigration laws and its ability to attract talent retain talent us as a destination for talent even what's the perception of us as a region where and we talented people want to come they want to settle they want to build their life Sp- speak to that a little many of us around the united states work together through welcoming america which is a national organization and we're a member and many parts of the country are working hard to change the hearts and the minds and the votes of democrats and republicans to find ways to get to common sense solutions to various components of the very big and broad immigration questions because it's not just one question or one set of policies it involves many policies from workforce issues for high skilled workers for agricultural workers hospitality workers it involves issues of refugees it involves issues of family reunification so there are many pieces that either have to be addressed together in a comprehensive immigration method which was what was on the docket in 2014 that didn't end up being successful or piecemeal but at the moment it doesn't seem like there is the will of our legislative representatives to look at any of these things individually that they might agree on but they end up sacrificing it for other things and then it drops so we can't discuss solutions to the dreamers or to university graduates with stem degrees or workers that we need for agriculture or do we need more humanitarian visas or do we need more families we we've held to some of these same numbers for decades for immigration and we have not really changed except for unwelcoming rhetoric in the last administration and then covid which really slowed down many of our consular responses which has slowed down the work on top of the last administration that tried to close off many forms of legal immigration um so we now are in a rebuilding mode and i think that's what's so important as we look at rebuilding both the workforce needs as well as foreign policy needs such as our response in afghanistan and now ukraine and what we do on a humanitarian basis they're all important and we just have to keep raising our voices to congress and say these are important issues and we need to solve them for the basis of our communities for our families and for the workforce on a scale of 1 to 10 how urgent do you think it is for lawmakers to take this up and make reforms and start attracting immigrants at a large scale canada has done a wonderful job it's becoming quite usual for me to hear that definitely the other day somebody was talking about how applying for canadian permanent residency is like applying for a credit card you can do yes, it by several card. weeks totally exactly yes so we are falling behind and the those that are looking at our talent and our workforce are seeing that compared to Canada and even some other countries we are falling behind on all levels of high skilled middle skilled less skilled and just our general workforce and keeping our cities vital with populations to keep businesses and schools thriving so those that are looking further than the next election where they're trying to get elected and just get fearmongering or just try to pander to who they think is going to get out the vote very short term anyone who's looking longer term knows it's very important but sometimes that view of something longer than the next election cycle gets lost even mm-hmm. though it is extremely urgent and important that's great let's maybe transition to your book you wrote a book called you're hired uh, tell us a little bit about the book what is the book all about when was it published how can folks listening benefit from the book 
during the pandemic, right before we all were getting vaccinated in 21, I felt that I was frustrated that I was doing more coaching with people in St. Louis for their job successes. And I was posting on LinkedIn and I was being told by people, Betsy, it's hard on LinkedIn to read your tips. Can you put them in a book? And I thought to myself, what can I do to make a better impact? What can I do to help more people? And that is really my mission in this second career I have is to help our economy and help people to be successful if they're foreign born to bring their talents to this country and to be successful so that they can personally be successful and that our country will be successful. They go together. And so I decided I would write the book. So I started in March with my goal being to launch it on Citizenship Day. I knew we had a new president at that point, And I knew that we have very low unemployment and we were getting vaccinated. So it was time to help foreign born people and our general economy needs them. So I really rushed to get all the learnings, the case studies together, and I self-published it and had contributors from around the country that I work with on the economic imperative of immigration. So people from Global Detroit and Welcoming America, the World Education Services, many people contributed because they also believe we need to help foreign-born people use their talents. So it's been very exciting. It's the only book on the market that helps foreign-born people understand the stress that you go through. How do you interview? How do you prepare? How do you understand what kind of an interview will be done? Can you negotiate your salary? How do you do that politely? And I say, give you right language that you can use. What, what I give you the right words to say when you want to negotiate something. And then what happens when you're in a company? All the people that I would mentor when I was at Nestle, I saw how they could be more successful and I mentored them that advice is in the book as well. So it's really hearing my voice with hundreds of people that I have worked with in my work at the St. Louis Mosaic Project and my personal commitment to give that advice. I'm also finding now that HR departments, talent acquisition people are having me speak at conferences for them because lots of organizations need people right now and they want to be a preferred employer. And so when they read the book or listen to me and I tell them, these are some of the barriers that foreign-born people have when they try to apply on your website. They try to go through your applicant tracking. They don't, they're not being successful. They don't have zip codes for their prior employers. They don't know how to answer your questions correctly. So a lot of HR people who want to be preferred employers are trying to learn from the book as well and want to hear from me. How can they be more welcoming to attract more talent, to be a preferred employer, and then to keep and grow the talent that they actually do bring on board. So can you maybe share some tips that are especially relevant to, to those who have been laid off recently, especially H1B visa workers, because that's the primary audience for this specific yes. site. What, is yeah. it, what can they do as they're looking for a job right now to get a job quickly? It's very important when you're looking for a job now, first of all, to use LinkedIn to get yourself skilled on LinkedIn very quickly if you are not already, and use it as you're looking at the companies to find people within the company who you can reach out with a good question, that you can connect to them, and you can possibly then have them look out for your application and resume. What's happening now, the holiday season, the applications are going to go in, and your application can easily be lost. But if you make a good connection with someone in the company, maybe they went to your same university, maybe they're from your same home country, 
Maybe they're in the HR department or the talent acquisition, or maybe they're in your field if you're applying and you want to be in the finance department or the IT department or the engineering department. Find someone in the company, but don't just send them a request to connect. It just says, Betsy, connect. Write a note to them. You can do that before you push the button to connect and say, Betsy, I noticed this, or we share something in common and I want to ask you a question. Could we do a 10-minute Zoom call? But connect so that you can say to them, would you make sure, would you reach out to HR and have them make sure that my resume gets a second look? You have to be a nudge. This is going to be a very hard push in 60 days. So you need to have ideally one, if not more allies in the company that you're interested in that can say, take a look for his resume. It's really important. He would be a great person. Let's push it. Let's not delay it till the 1st of January when this person's clock will be over. So you need, you need to make that pitch. You need to really sell yourself. The word that I use when I talk with candidates and right now for anyone who's in the 60 day window for H1B, this is the one word that I hope you remember. The word is irresistible. How can you be not just a good candidate, not just in the applicant tracking system, but how do you make yourself irresistible? How do you look at the company and say, I see you're having a certain issue or a problem, or I have thoughts on this. Or I've done a paper on it. I'd like to talk to you about this, but be a problem solver and be a little bit pushy and make some connections because if it just goes into the regular applicant system, it's going to be hard for you to get found within that time frame. And are all these tips captured in your book? Yes. Wow. They're captured. There's case studies of what people have done and said. It's very easy reading, but what I encourage you to be is to be more connected, a little more aggressive, to think about building relationships and finding it maybe through an Asian chamber of commerce in the city where the job is that you're looking at, and like in St. Louis where I am. You know, there are connections with the employee resource groups for many of our companies. You could go to a Bayer or a Boeing or Aldridge or any of our companies, and you could find out who's that's related to your ethnicity. You could find those people that would share a bond with you, and you could ask them, help me with my application. Help me get noticed. That's what it's going to take. Yeah, I think it's absolutely wonderful that you're doing this, that you've written this book. I think it's very timely. Uh, anyone who's listening to this should download your book right away. I'm, I assume it's available on Amazon. It and is. Because applying to job portals is it will not help you. In my own experience, I've never, I've personally never gotten a job using portals. It's always been through my network. Someone referred me, someone liked what I had to say, what I was doing. And that's how I've done everything in my career that I've done. And I think this advice is especially relevant to students who are in a bind right now. They're on F1 OPT and they're looking for jobs and they are in a fix. You have to network. Like it's, it is non-negotiable, this specific thing about job search. Jobs. You have to, you have must network. network. It's not an option. And I think we all hate the word network. So I really prefer the word relationships. It's you mm -hmm. have to make, you have to find a way to make that relationship. I, I agree. That's wonderful. I love the reframing. I think the word networking is, has, it does have a negative connotation and it is scary as well. And it feels very transactional, but as the relationship is the right way to think about it, not just build a relationship, think about building the long-term relationship with that person that you're reaching out to and the short-term gain is that you get a job, but you're really genuinely interested in the person that you're reaching out. I know I went to Wellesley College. I went to Harvard Business School. If someone writes and says, I also went to Harvard Business School. Could I talk to you for 10 minutes on a Zoom? 
I will always say yes. Or if someone had an experience with Nestle and they want to get my opinion, or they have a connection with me from one of the organizations I'm a part of, if they have any reason to form a relationship, most often people will say yes, not all the time. But if you can build that relationship, even if it's a weak link, you can make it work. Oh, that's great. Anything else maybe you want to share from your book? Because it does seem like a treasure trove of ideas and tips that everyone should be looking at today, now. Anything else that you would you want to share with the audience? I would say that it has to do with understanding the kind of interviews. For many people who have lost a job right now, very quickly, they have not been interviewing for potentially several years. And so brushing up on what it takes if you're going to have a behavioral interview versus a chronological interview, understanding the way to do Zoom interviews. It's a different, you might have four people interviewing you on a Zoom screen. And so I give tips for how to do that because some of the international candidates tend to speak hierarchical. They talk to the senior person and ignore the junior people. And so I discussed the fact that the American way is more flat and not hierarchical and you have to give everybody time. So I think understanding the process is really important. My other point is you're going to really have to get somebody in the company to help you explain transferring an H-1B visa. A lot of companies think that if you need sponsorship, they're going to have to go through the lottery and you don't. If you just got laid off and can transfer your H-1B to an appropriate, suitable job, but you're going to have to explain that. And the HR people, the talent acquisition people don't assume they know that. So you might even have to enlist an immigration lawyer or someone to help explain it to them that they can get you right away and that, that you have such a big advantage. There's no lottery to go through. You bring the H-1B visa with you. So you have an advantage that they don't even know. I think that's a great tip. In many cases, if you go to the employer and if you've consulted with any attorney and if you go in and say, look, you, I have already, an, I'm working with an attorney and I can tell you with confidence that a visa transfer is required. Here are the steps. It's simple. That already lowers the barriers because you're coming in armed with knowledge and prior consultation, and you're lowering the barriers for the company, especially someone who has not hired H-1Bs before. I think that's fantastic. In a prior conversation, Betsy, you were mentioning this one pager that you've prepared, or uh, maybe the Mosaic project has prepared in order to educate employers. Can you speak speak a little bit to that? Where can people access that? I think that'll be a great resource for even for candidates who can take that one pager and forward it to potential employers to educate them. It will be on our website by tomorrow. We just shared it with our various stakeholders today in the community. We've just sent it to hundreds of our St. Louis companies today through our networks to explain to them, but it's stlmosaicproject.org. I can also send it to you and you can use it. It's one of our immigration lawyers who's actually originally from India, Nalini Mahadevan, and she prepared this one pager to help our companies who are, it's not their fault, but they don't understand this idea of, of how to transfer the visa. So we prepared it and we are busy circulating that today. That's fantastic. Why don't we segue a little bit into St. Louis and the work you're doing there? And so tell us about St. Louis as a region, as a city. What, what, how should foreign-born workers be thinking about St. Louis as a region? And then talk to us a little bit about the Mosaic Project as well. So the St. Louis region is a very welcoming place, which is one reason why the Mosaic Project has been successful in growing our foreign 
community. So what we do is we have a program that for foreign born people that come here, we have a women's network program that has 700 international women in it that do activities in the evening or the days or the weekends from young mothers to people that want to go to culture events. We have a mentor program in St. Louis where a local woman like me would be matched with an international woman and we meet once a month for a year. We have an expat men's group. We also have a professional connector program through the St. Louis Mosaic Project where if someone is work authorized, we connect them to someone in their field so they can begin that relationship building. And then we ask that person to make three more introductions for them to begin people on that process of forming relationships in their field. But again, that it takes often more than 30 days or 60 days for a regular job search. And we help people to do that. We also work with people who are starting businesses, immigrant entrepreneurs. We connect them to various entrepreneur events and places to get funding and competitions. So we are really that one-stop shop to help people get the right place. And we make warm introductions so people are not starting from scratch uh, when they're working on trying to get money or trying to make a relationship at a certain company so that they can help their job search. We are also particularly working on with our Hispanic chamber and they have a very active job board for the Hispanic chamber. And we are working with our Indian community. Our Indian community is our number one foreign born in St. Louis. And we are launching new work right now to grow our Indian-born community for St. Louis, where a second Hindu temple is being built right now. We also have people who are from the Indian community that are obviously also not Hindi as well, but we have a very large Latin America community here because of a lot of agricultural companies. And we have a number of people in the East. We've had, uh, recently, we've had Afghans and people from the Ukraine who have been very well received. The community is very welcoming. Our mayor and our, our county executive. Are, and the lifestyle here is good. The average price of a house, uh, four bedroom, two bath is about $200,000. Are known for having very many large parks. Cardinals baseball team. We have hockey. And we Betsy, we're losing, we're losing you a little bit. And our first game of our new soccer stadium. Are you back? Yeah, you're back. back. You're back now. So we have sports teams, soccer around with baseball, hockey, and our park system is incredible. So between the housing, the culture, arts, I mean, we are part of the Mosaic Project. It's a well, I would are just launching. Betsy, we should, we should maybe wait for a, maybe a few seconds for the for it to catch we up. We have almost 5,000 in St. Louis. So the new website we have for Tech STL has 5,000 jobs, half are remote and half are in St. Louis. And these are companies in St. Louis like Square and Technology Partners, Bungie, Boeing, major companies, as well as other technology companies that have hiring going on right now. And so I really encourage people that are looking 
to look at this website for Tech STL with how many tech jobs we have. They're in the ag science, they're in geospatial, they're in engineering, they're in software. So it's a wide range of industries and job functions that are on the Tech STL website. Excellent. And so you mentioned a number of resources earlier that are specific to St. Louis. How can people tap into that? Where can people go to learn about it? There's a website, Explore St. Louis. And at the Explore St. Louis website, you can find all about the attractions, the arts, the parks, the way all the things that are exciting to live here. Also, it just almost everything is within 20 to 30 minutes. So you can at last minute get ticket to a Broadway show when they travel here, as well as get to all of our various athletic events. We even have a cricket league. Oh, wow. Okay. That should attract a lot of people. Excellent. Anything else that you would like to mention to the audience, Betsy, and this could be H-1B holders who are looking for jobs. It could be potential employers who are thinking about hiring and whether to hire at this time or not. And also potentially also lawmakers. Do you have anything that you would like to say to them? Yes, I think the word I have to say is this country needs talent. And it makes me crazy to think that we could have more than 10,000 internationally talented people who have lost jobs returning to home countries when this country desperately needs STEM talent and high-skilled talent. We need middle skills and low skills as well, but particularly with this H-1B situation, it would be a travesty if our lawmakers and our companies don't understand that this would be a drain and to lose people to Canada or back to home countries. Our companies could hire people remotely, but that's just a shame because when we as a country lose uh, people as our neighbors, we lose them in our neighborhoods, we lose them paying taxes here, we lose them contributing in our civic affairs. So it's just, it's a terrible moment. And I just wish that our government had thought about this before all these layoffs took place. And all of a sudden these H-1B workers um, are at risk. I agree. Maybe one last topic, Betsy. Let's talk about entrepreneurship a little bit and the value that foreign-born talent brings to this country in the form of entrepreneurship and starting companies. And then in that context, maybe also talk about the global EIR program that you and I talked about in a previous call. The data shows that immigrants start businesses at about 50% higher rate than native-born people. And that's for many reasons. Immigrants often don't have a plan B. Uh, they need to get started. They find money from family and friends. They start neighborhood businesses, main street businesses. And certainly for a lot of our high-skilled, uh, well-educated foreign-born people who are immigrants in this country, they want to start high-tech businesses. Um, and so we know that the tech transfer from the universities, it's very important. And and the number of patents that international people have, it's very high. So what we see is that in all the different competitions, it's important, but it's difficult for foreign-born people to find the visas to allow them to start businesses here. So that's a challenge. Again, our country has done a poor job versus other countries where it's easier to start a business than it is here. We have found that there are some solutions to that. The Global Entrepreneur in Residence Program is one and you can look up the global EIR program. And 
certain universities are working with particularly international students that are graduating and have a business they want to start and have started on the side. There are some ways that then universities are hiring those international people to work 10 hours a week for the university at the same time that that individual is starting a company on the side and they get their H-1B through the university and they start their business. So the University of Massachusetts is doing it successfully. Michigan is doing a number. There are a number of other places that have used this model successfully to help transition high-skilled people with scalable technology businesses into businesses that can stay here with an H-1B. So it's another avenue. And I suppose this option is available to the spouses of the H-1B workers as well, because in many cases, the spouses, those who are on H-4 visas also, frankly, struggle and have go through really bad times because they cannot get a job for a number of years. And is, so is the global EIR program available to those? I don't, as well? I don't think that it's available to the H-1-4s uh, because it's an H-1-B that is actually gotten for the university for the individual. The, the university is getting an H-1-B for the person that does the work and starts the business. I think uh, there's been momentum, some assistance for H-1-4s to continue their work because there are so many families, it's critical that the holder of that H-1-4 be a breadwinner in addition to the H-1-B holder. Yeah. That four visa is so important. Um, and it's I, wish, I really wish I knew about this option a few years ago. I've been wanting to start a company for several years now and uh, did so only after getting a green card, but I really wish I knew about, I think this program has been in, in existence for several years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's, it has been for several years. And so it, it is an avenue that the universities can take advantage of if they work on it and set up the right methods to apply and have the work done and to approve it. So it is a valuable, another avenue for entrepreneurship until our country gets a better idea of how to support foreign-born entrepreneurs that we want here and we need here, but we don't have good mechanisms for them. Well, Betsy, this has been fantastic. I really want to thank you for coming on. I do want to open it up to the audience. So if anyone in the audience has any questions for Betsy, please type them into the Q&A channel or raise your hand. I'll bring you up so you can ask her the question live. She has been gracious enough to offer her support. So if anyone wants needs any help from Betsy in any way whatsoever, you can reach out to her. So it's, this is a great opportunity for you to connect with Betsy as well. So if you have any questions or just want to say hi, even just come on in, raise your hand and I'll bring you up or just ask the question. Or if not, that's okay as well. I'm glad to be of service. My goal is to be helpful. I'm not a lawyer, so I can't give legal advice, but I can tell you what I've seen and encourage people to, to look at all the angles and to have the basis of the knowledge I've gotten by seeing so many people's lives and how they've been successful. I think what you're doing, Betsy, right now, and especially with your book, is what is needed first and foremost, because no one wants to exercise the option of changing to a different visa or having to go back to their home country they want to stay on they came here for a reason and they want to find uh, another job as quickly as possible so i think your book really just helps in that in a very timely fashion so, so nudge, nudge people nudge yeah. people make those relationships be irresistible get allies within the company and just push because you know this is the talent that our country needs you are the people that we need to grow as a country we need you everything we can do to help you be successful is what's right for this country and many people through the St. Louis Mosaic Project, through Welcome America, many people want to see your success. <laughs>